Welcome to another edition of the Lab, the Matthew Harden Podcast. I'm your host, Shane Holcomb. I'm glad to be back recording such a busy past week to school. Even more buzzing to welcome Joe Tweeds and Dan onto the pod to talk about the league leading blues. Great to be talking to you once again, Tweeds and Daniel. I'll start with you, Joe. How's everything going, man? Yeah, really, really good. Yeah, I'm enjoying the uh, enjoying the season so far. Um, I think Chelsea have started to, I wouldn't say necessarily turn a corner, but I think we've started to find a little bit of form, which is nice to see. Um, but yeah, everything is great. So uh, yeah, thanks for having me on as always. Yeah, I'm looking forward to talking to you tweets. I know it's been a while, especially for for our conversation with um, Daniel transitioning over to you now, man. It's great to be talking to you. Ever since uh, we talked to you last time, you've, of course, gotten a job at football.london. Um, so it's great to be seeing your work recently. And uh, thanks for coming on, man. Really looking forward to the day. How's everything with you? It's not just about the job, but I think the last time I was on the podcast was maybe like Leeds. <laughs> was it Leeds, the nil-nil last season mm. in March? I mean, yeah, that was even before the like the Champions League run had kind of properly started. So, I mean, <laughs> typical Chelsea, if you like don't speak to someone for like four months, mm. you know, by the time you catch up with them, like almost like three years worth of content has happened at Chelsea Football Club. So I'm sure there's a lot yeah. to catch up on today. Yeah, and I'm sorry, like, especially to my audience out there, because, you know, I haven't recorded a podcast since the end of August uh, with Jay McIntosh talking about the 1-1 draw against Liverpool. So this is more or less going to be a recap on our first quarter season, but we got a lot of great talking points today with two great guests. So, Joe, I'm going to start with you. Thomas Tuchel, he continues to deliver on his promise to build a team that no one wants to play against. Chelsea sit top of the Premier League table going into the international break at the quarter stage already, which is kind of crazy. And while yesterday's draw versus Burnley was disappointing, it seems like each week this side continues to break down the barriers that separated Blues teams in the recent past, the likes of Manchester City and Liverpool. How impressed have you been thus far with Chelsea's determination and resilience to not let injury play deter them from pulling three points out of every match in October being undefeated during the month? Yeah, I think uh, I, I think when we look start looking back at this season sort of retrospectively um the first sort of month maybe six weeks for example i have a feeling that we have certainly as a fan base and and probably sort of general footballing world as well has kind of sort of undermined the impact of the international summer um you know the fact that there has been such a huge amount of football for chelsea players and i think tuchel was actually um, pretty decent at managing how players have come back. And I'm thinking about someone like Ben Chirwell here, for example, um, you know, in terms of how he has got his preferred or, you know, most of his preferred team up and running and, and back to speed in that capacity. So I think sort of certainly the first sort of maybe couple of games where, you know, people were starting to ask questions, et cetera. I think in hindsight, maybe those um, fears or those opinions were, were possibly a little bit premature when it comes to, the sort of the, the robustness with which they were made. I think certainly the last couple of games, maybe three, four, five games, for example, the the style of football that uh, Tuchel is sort of starting to to develop with this squad, I think that is sort of more of the the the, the Tuchel kind of ball, the ball that we're sort of expecting or, or hoping to see um, both in sort of the short term and, and the long term as well. So I think, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think the, the, the campaign so far has been great as, you know, going into the international break, top of the table um I, I think with you know without sort of being too too presumptive I, you know pretty much there are thereabouts in the Champions League already in terms of qualification so really I think it, it's going about as well as it can do um I know that there were some some pretty vocal um criticism of, of the performance yesterday but 
again, I, I think there is this this sort of growing trend, certainly when it comes to sort of online discussion that uh, Chelsea should win every game 15-0. Um, and if we don't win 15-0, then it's been some sort of tragic performance. We could play that game another 10 times and it could have been three, four, five, six, seven, nil. Um, these sorts of results happen. I mean, you know, the, the weekend before, you know, Manchester City were were consummately beaten by Crystal Palace. You know, I mean, Liverpool have, have dropped points already this season against teams that, you know, from, a, from from winning positions that they normally wouldn't do. I mean, a lot of teams are, are decent this season. I think that is something that we as a fan base need to factor in when it comes to sort of the level of, of overreaction to certain results. I think, again, you know, lots of, of you know, quote-unquote mid-table teams will take points off of the better teams in the league this season because it's so competitive. So, um, yeah, I, I think just sort of some of the things, I think it, the campaign so far has been has been really, really decent, I would say. Um, obviously, room to improve. I think, again, you know, we're always going to be looking at our ability to finish the, the chances that we create and also the quality of chances that we create continue to improve that. Um but ultimately, again, with with the squad at our disposal, with with two cool sort of style of play, um, yeah, you know, going in top of the table, very comfortable in Europe, still in all the cup competitions. I mean, it's it's going about as well as it can do. And sure, of course, everyone will have the right to be frustrated by Chelsea dropping points. But I think at, at times a little bit of perspective is is certainly needed. And you know, again, I, I maybe question whether we have even seen that you know Tuchel's preferred 11 at full fitness at full flight this season as well so I think we've, we've got a lot of room to grow um but as things stand I think we've done we've done pretty well so far this season and I think again post-international break barring any catastrophes when it comes to injuries I think hopefully that will continue Dan I want to flip this question over to you now because we've seen this team bounce back in moments reverse early on just the season right with the losses of City and Juventus at the end of September as the away trip to Brentford really stands out the penalty shootout against Southampton and now they need to bounce back after the international break. So how much are you looking forward to the arrivals of Timo Werner and Romelu Lukaku, Mateo Kovacic, even a guy like Christian Pulisic, to come back outside of injury? Because like I mentioned, we've been getting the three points with a squad that's had injury problems. So how much are you looking forward to those kind of guys coming back after the international break? Yeah, I think it's a really good point that uh, Joe made, like, in terms of the best 11 and and I still kind of feel with Tuchel the more I watch him the idea of a, a best 11 um, might not be as secure as it was say under Jose Mourinho and Antonio Conte like I feel like as Chelsea fans were quite quite used in title winning seasons or title challenging seasons to have a a, a smaller squad or a smaller selected group of players that regularly play like 13 or 14. Um, I think the way it took one of the most impressive things he's done so far is, is the way he's been able to utilize the squad and, and take fringe players that you don't expect to feature um, either revive them like Ruben Loftus-Cheek bring them back in or guys like Ross Barkley, you know, I thought was quite impressive uh, against Burnley, but in terms of it, it's not just about the players coming back. I feel like the connections of players who've been performing well recently alongside those returning players I fundamentally I look at Reese James his incredible performances recently creatively just that goal we scored against Burnley is exactly the trademark of a goal I want to see Chelsea score more often and just seeing what Reese is giving to us on that right hand side along with Ben Chill as well and, and to think that I, I was I wrote a piece after the game where Reese and Lukaku have only started I think four games together this season so far one of those, the fourth, was uh, the Man City game where Reese went off injured in 22 of 23 minutes. You know, so 
given that creativity, I think Rom's going to really benefit from that. And and just seeing, as as Joe was alluding to, the way the team, the patterns of play, the the way we're attacking is is a lot more consistent now. I'm seeing that the, the way we try and shift the ball from left to right, you just see those patterns draw against a, a poor opposition um, in recent week. But I I do believe that once. Uh, Tuchel has his best 11 or best squad I think more so as we head into a crucial period of the season the winter period which is going to define what Chelsea do this year uh, I, I do feel there's a lot of room for optimism because I've, I think he's really navigated the start to the season as, as well as he could have to be honest mm. and actually I don't know if you're looking at my document or not Daniel, but that transitions into my next topic beautifully because I want to talk about the harsh reality of Chelsea's record in the past couple years during the month of December in specific. And even looking at our fixture lists, it's not like the teams are that high of caliber, but it's playing those matches every three or four days. We have the Champions League end of the group stage, Joe. We have the Premier League. So I want both of you guys to chime in on this, especially this question. How do Chelsea flip their fatal experiences of holiday season? Thomas Tuchel's talked about before <laughs> how he's never really gone through something like this in the Premier League because he's been in Germany He's been in France, where they actually usually have time off during December months. But he's going to be playing every three or four days now, especially in the Champions League. I don't think the Carabao Cup comes back until middle of December, but that'll be, we'll have a game in the middle of December, I'm pretty sure, against Brentford. So there's a lot of competitions going on. I'll start with you on this one, Joe. It's kind of creepy if you actually look at it as well, because we play the same run of fixtures as we did last December, playing Leeds at home on the road to Everton, on the road to Wolves, regardless of the fact, though, I think I'm just looking at that as maybe a little bit too scared, um, especially getting a flashback from last season. But Thomas Tuchel, he's never gone through something like this before. So, Joe, in your opinion, you know, the depth has shown its strength. I think the scene players are doing their jobs in different roles, i.e. come Hudson and Dory, the back line, the wing backs for playing center back and so on. How important is our depth going to be going into this December month? I don't know if there's something that, that Daniel will echo, but I, I seem to feel this season we have a lot more quality depth than, than what we've had in, in certainly the past couple of seasons, at least while I'm, while I'm sort of thinking back anecdotally. Um, you know, you have guys of the calibre of, of, of Trevor Chalaber who not only can play pretty much every single position in that back three, but in a pinch could, could step into midfield. I think obviously Ruben's re-emergence in, as a a viable option at pretty much every single level of, of competition at Chelsea will, will, will kind of play, you know, allows guys like Jorginho and Kovacic and Kante to step out and to actually have some, some meaningful resting, meaningful matches. Um, similar with, with Ross Barkley, again, you know, I think his um, kind of insane ability to sort of reinvent himself in this team, in this setup, you know, he's actually been a pretty decent player. I think that certainly the past couple of appearances he's made. Um but having, I think, this season a lot more quality that you're you're not as afraid if a, a quote-unquote sort of key player goes down. I mean, we've barely really seen Angolo Kante this season. You know, I, I don't think necessarily that he he's performing at the level that we've seen in the past couple of seasons. And, and primarily that, that is through, I think, injury and, and sort of the, the, you know, trying to sort of manage his his workload more, um, keep him for those, those bigger games where obviously his his class comes through in, in terms of how he can play. But the fact that we are not necessarily missing some of these key players and these key players can actually step up the team and have a, 
you know, sort of a time to, to rest and recuperate. I mean, you know, we've seen Mason sort of uh, being able to step out of the team as well, which seems unthinkable when you, you sort of look back at, at last season and how his energy was so vital to the team. So when I've kind of looked at the December period, I'm not as filled with, with trepidation as I might have been in seasons gone by because I just think the way that Tuchel is managing the squad this season, there's a lot of rotation in key positions, particularly in the sort of the midfield engine room. You're seeing a lot of guys rotate in and staying fresh. Um, we're seeing people rotate back in, in in the front line. We've got guys like Pulisic coming back from injury, etc. Um, hopefully Werner and, and Lukaku will, will be back soon as well. Um, but just that that depth of quality that and that I think the variety of, of skill sets that we've seen. I mean, I think you know, after the Brentford game, you know, Tuchel kind of sort of alluded to picking Ruben over Jorginho because of his sort of physical traits and, you know, the, our ability to actually be able to almost pick profiles of players that fit certain games. I think it's also something that is is playing into our strengths um, and giving quality players the opportunity to play as well. So I'm not, I'm not as, as concerned as I, I, you know, as I probably would normally be going into a, a very congested fixture period. Um, you know, the, the, the UK sort of football scene is very, unique in that respect and that you have so many games over sort of the festive period and new year period etc um but i think this season particularly with the depth we have particularly with how well the squad has been rotated how well it's being managed at the moment i'm less concerned than than in sort of seasons that we've seen gone by so yes i think there is definitely an element to the, the fact that chelsea maybe have in in the past tired or slowed down or started to to fade a tiny bit in december because i think we have often seen um the bulk of the team play every single available minute or close to every single available minute that, we, that, that they possibly can. This season, I feel a lot more confident in that the team will be better um, prepared and better served to, to actually play in, in that level of, of fixtures and competitive uh, competitive fixtures as well. So not as concerned as what I have been, but I do think as well that it's something to keep an eye on. I want to get your thoughts on this too, Daniel. Like you mentioned, I'm pretty sure actually, you know, this podcast started up about a year ago um, from December and one of our first episodes was talking about, you know, the Christmas period and how it's going to get very tough for all the teams in the Premier League, especially last season. I think it was even on a crazier level. I want to say Chelsea played two games in like 48 hours um, at the end of December. Not so much this year, but, you know, when we have competitions like the Carabao, the Champions League, two group stage games in December as well against Juventus and against Zenit in efforts or defending our Champions League crowd. I know prioritization isn't a great thing maybe for Chelsea this season we want to, of course win all the trophies but in your opinion you know we have matches like the Carabao Cup quarterfinal at Brentford Champions League though we it's really important for us to qualify for the round of 16 and then you got games like Leicester and Man United sandwiching in um, between the Juventus match so going off of Tweet's point you know how important are the players going to be like Trevor Chalobah, Clem hudson Doy. Guys like um, Kai Havertz, even someone like a Milan Sar, you know, in this run. Yeah, I, I think obviously the the squad depth is on the pitch. Technically, I think as as Joe alluded to, like it, it helps Tuchel have those variety of options. I kind of feel as well that maybe away from the pitch, their performances because most of the time. Nearly all of the fringe players who have come in, even someone like Malang Sar, who had a difficult end to the game against Brentford, but I think generally considering that was his Premier League debut, I think did pretty all right, uh, considering Mike says before the game. Um, I think it probably speaks to the confidence level at Cobham at the moment and maybe the healthy atmosphere. You know, in previous years, if there's only a short 
number of players that that coach, whoever it is, Sarri, Lampard, Jose, wants to use. You know, when he has to call on a fringe player, maybe they don't perform as well in the system because they don't feel as confident or they don't feel as trusted by the coach. I feel that Tuchel is clearly festering an environment where pe- people feel like they have a chance to break in and they, when they play well, there's a chance for, for m- more minutes. It doesn't mean that you're going to play every single game, but I think that helps obviously refresh the squad. Um, the amount of internal solutions I think we found this year in terms of Trevor Chalabra, I think is obviously the main one quality player who slotted into our team defensively I was a bit surprised he didn't play against uh, Burnley to be honest I thought I thought he would come back into the starting 11 um, which kind of speaks to how much of a, a first team squad player he is now that you know you're not surprised when he is in that starting 11 um, Loftus-Cheek obviously I still think there's more for, to see from him to be honest um, in terms of to giving him some more minutes Kalamas and Adoy finally seeing him in his favourite favorite position where he's starting to influence things on a consistent basis so I agree with you I, I think that all of these players are going to be key. And, and you hope that in comparison to, say, Liverpool, who have a smaller squad, when we hit that road of fixtures that are just so difficult in the winter, Tuchel will be able to rotate the team well. I also think that in comparison to other years, the team is more certain this year. Like, there aren't glaring questions about key areas of the team. Like, we know what a good midfield is. We There seems to be a better balance about Tuchel's team generally. In previous years, that hasn't been the case. There's kind of been, whether it was under Frank, it was always the midfield balance issue or the fact we were being done on transition or set-piece problems. Under Sarri, there were other questions as well. So I think the fact that as a team, we feel so confident, hopefully is going to, if there are going to be bumps in the road, which there are likely to be, I think with the element, the, the combination of of having that um, squad depth that Tuchel clearly loves to use and also I just think the general confidence and trust they have in Tuchel and, and you see it on the pitch as the system grows and the players get more confident um, hopefully we can put the curse behind us but I, I still am kind of marking the Liverpool game on the 2nd of January as to me that's when I can judge if Chelsea are going to be different this year that's when I'm going to judge it like if we get to the 2nd of January when we face Liverpool at home in the league and we are where we are now basically or in and around the you know the top two um then i'm going to sit here and go yeah we're in a title race um but as we've known in, in seasons before chelsea have started seasons quite well quite near the top and then there's this collapse that happens that none of us see coming i think we should see it coming by now i just i just really hope that Tucker is the man who can break this really frustrating cycle i think he is and going back to one of the points i made in the original prologue of the podcast, you know, it does seem like each week he breaks one of our past tours from the past, uh, especially the past couple of years, you know, being so far off of the top of the table. And I know, Joe, you've talked about that a lot, you know, in your articles and your podcast, you know, <sighs> decreasing this humongous gap, you know, that Chelsea have faced in the Premier League over the past couple of seasons. But now I want to transition into the Champions League, guys, because, of course, like you mentioned early on, and, and everyone knows by now, you know, we are the former Champions League winners. But at the moment, we are currently second in the group with two match days to go. Of course, everyone's circling that Juventus match at the bridge, I believe, at the, at the beginning of December. Um, Joe, so I'm going to start with you on this one. You know, looking at our potential opponents, you know, for the round of 16, are you concerned maybe about finishing second? Or do you really, I guess... Looking at our opponents, you know, you have people like PSG, Porto, Dortmund, Inter, Barca, Villarreal, um, and us right now in second place. 
Well, then when you look at the likes of City, Liverpool, Ajax, Madrid, Bayern Munich, Man United, Salzburg in, in, in around a 16, are you concerned with, with this Chelsea game perhaps getting, you know, second place in the group and having to go face a really hard team in the first round? I think looking at, at Chelsea, certainly this this version of Chelsea under Thomas Tuchel, there will be teams who are way more scared and terrified of playing us than, than we should be of them. I think the the style of play that we can enact in, in Europe, particularly obviously we saw, um, you know, obviously winning the, the Champions League last season, but the level of performance, the level of control that we can have in European games now. In my head, and again, this, you know, this could well be famous last words, but, you know, Liverpool, City, and probably Bayern Munich are the three that I'm, I'm kind of, you know, let's say slightly concerned about in terms of drawing them, but I don't think that will be until the latter stages. Um, PSG, when I watch them, it just seems like a, a group of very talented individuals who very rarely make you know runs off the ball or try to actually do any sort of defensive work. And I think, again, Tuchel would be so incredibly motivated playing them that I think that we would just have the perfect setup. And, and bar them you know, ha- having the performance of their lives and, and all the individual quality they have, um, I do feel quite strongly that Chelsea can, can beat PSG. So I'm not massively concerned. You know, it's a competition where you have to beat all of the, the the quality teams to win the, the tournament anyway. So, um, you know, I'd rather play one of those teams that I mentioned later in the tournament and, and see um, you know, kind of where it, where it takes us. But in terms of finishing first or second, I'm, I'm not too fast, to be honest. As I said, I think if we if we have ambitions to, to be in the final, to win it, um, those three teams that I mentioned, those are the ones that are going to be the, the, the sort of the calibre of opponent that is going to be in the final. Um, you know, and I think everyone else, realistically, if Chelsea play to their potential and they, they play the kind of football and, and the, the kind of style that we've seen be so successful for us in Europe, um, I don't imagine too many teams will want to play Chelsea. So yeah. I think this season, again, it could just be me, me speaking confidently here, but I do feel that there will be teams who are a lot more, um, yeah, a lot more concerned about playing Chelsea than we are of them. And I, I think that probably is the first time in a while that that, that has been the case in the, in the Premier European competition. I think, again, you know, when we've been in the Europa League, we have probably been the team to beat. So, but when it comes to Champions League, I think this is the, one of the first seasons where we are really probably a team that, that many will not want to face. So I'm, I'm going to take the, the confident approach there and say that I'm not too concerned until the, the latter stages, um, assuming we get there. Yeah, I'm going to just go on, go on a limb right now here and say that Chelsea are probably going to win the group. They should beat Juventus in December, especially looking at their form. Um, and the game in, in Turin was pretty much a blur. But, Daniel, I want to throw this over to you now because I mentioned the likes of the Carabao Cup, but also Chelsea are going to have to go to Dubai for the Club World Cup. We're losing players like Mendy to the African Cup of Nations. So the squad is going to be playing a lot of games, not just internationally, but also domestically. Do you go for competitions like the Carabao Cup headed into the latter parts of the season? In my opinion, I think we should now just because we are in the quarterfinals and now you always want to get something, you always want to win something. So what are your thoughts on Tuchel's team and, and what are kind of the players that you want to be seeing in, in these latter stages of the competition? Do you want to continue to see the team sheets that he's been putting out um, in the Carabao Cup or do you want to see a kind of a change of pace and, prioritization of a first team squad Premier League players in these competitions down the latter stages. It's hard to say by the time we get there in terms of Chelsea's form, the fitness yeah. of players, um, you know, at the moment, you know, at least with the players coming back, you kind of feel like Tuchel's going to have a, a full deck to play with. So, 
then you can kind of prioritize. But, you know, Tuchel may get to that stage and he hasn't won a couple of games. Or, you know, there's so many variables to football. It, 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 that game, even though it's not that far away on the calendar, there's a lot of football to be played until we get there. But I feel he will go for a stronger team against Brentford just simply because of the problems Brentford gave to us the last time we went there. And the fact that it, it meant, you know, we had to use penalties in the previous two rounds. Uh, you know, I don't think our two performances against Aston Villa and uh, Southampton were especially convincing. Um, and I don't think there, although like there were some fringe players who have taken their opportunities, I feel in those two games, there were some that didn't. So I, I potentially think Tuchel will see a trophy in sight, like the first trophy of the season. It's interesting, like, because... Jose Mourinho, and I always go back to this, Jose really prioritised the League Cup. Um, he kind of saw it as this massive part of sort of a title-winning narrative or the way you build confidence within the squad. Now, it's not so big within this current group because they won the Champions League. They've won the Super Cup. Like, this squad has already won something. So the idea they need a first trophy to really encourage the rest of them to kind of go we can do something even bigger i'm not quite sure is as desperate as, as it was in so sort of 0405 but i do think that you know chelsea especially if tuckle now there is a belief that chelsea can rack up as many trophies as they can in a short period of time and that you know that constant winning mentality that tuckle has that that ruthless sense that you feel like chelsea are getting back to under him i think he'll look at that and go against brentford we can win that game it won't be a full strength team. I don't think it will be what we would consider if, if all of us wrote down our strongest Chelsea 11. I don't think it would be that. You probably still will see Kepper in goal. Maybe a Malang side will be in there. Trevor Chalaba would be in there. Even Sal could be in there. You know, But at the same time, I, I do expect it to be a little bit stronger. Just because I, I think that Tuchel knows that at a club like Chelsea, the pressure, the expectation when things are going well, I think you really have to capitalize on it. I think you have to you have to enjoy the good times, basically, because as we know how quickly it could turn at this club. So, um, I and as well with the weird thing about the League Cup is, yeah, once you get past the first two rounds, it, that's when you take it seriously. Um, but it, it may create a really difficult fixture pileup for him in the new year because obviously the Club World Cup being moved back and where the placing of the semi-finals. I mean, I remember Liverpool had to basically field an under, I think under 18 side or something against Aston Villa because they were in the club world cup. So potentially Chelsea may have to almost forfeit the competition because they have to play the club world cup. Uh, so it took all sort of um, not benefiting from the champions league triumph, but yeah, I, I think he will take it seriously because it, it's also just a part of the natural confidence of the squad, isn't it? You know, if you keep on winning, uh, especially in the winter period, I, I think it probably boost morale throughout throughout the whole squad. Hmm. How great would it be to? I mean, just going off a limb right here, like to see just like a full academy eleven in like the Carabao Cup semi-final. Even though like it would be, it would be probably not the best. We'd probably lose the game. It'd be pretty cool to see that experience. And hmm. am I right in saying that the Carabao Cup semi-finals are going back to two legs? Because I know I'm pretty sure it was yeah. one last year. Okay. Yeah, two legs. So it's a two leg semi-final. Mm. Yeah, in January the the. I think the first one is is yeah the first week of January. Very early January is the first leg, and then I think okay. the second one is usually just before the FA Cup fourth round. I want to say yeah. like in the last week of January. So mm. how that's going to shape up with the Club World Cup, I've got no idea. Yeah, I, I think too going forward, like for the finals in February, I'm assuming at in, in, in the latter stages of February. And I love your point about building this, like using this competition in the past as a confidence booster going forward to win the title. And Joe, I want to transition to you now because 
we've seen already three pretty static games in that competition, especially, but players have stepped up across the points of the season in all of our competitions. So I want to transition into one of my favorite talking points from today, and that's for you, Joe. How many or which players for you have impressed the most this season that you perhaps weren't expecting to? Oof, that's a that's a big question. Um, I'll I'll start with with one in particular. Um, I think Reese James at the moment is on the way to being one of the best players in the world in his position, and that may seem quite hyperbolic to people, but defensively, I think he's improved massively, massively this season. Um, thinking back to to the Newcastle game, I think his his awareness of when to use his physicality, his ability to recover, etc. Um, and just the fact now that he's he's just so so physically impressive and so so imposing on that on that right hand side that teams very rarely seem to uh, seem to want to attack him. So I think with with that being said, and, and you sort of combine that with his his attacking output, his ability to to find you know crosses, his chipping in with goals now this this sort of position that he is finding himself in, in, in sort of central areas. This, I think uh, I've coined the term indented wingbacks because I couldn't stand them being called in inverted, but this sort of indented wingback position that he has um, is, is really unlocking every part of his game. So, you know, I think Reese has always been an impressive player. I think young players, obviously it's about consistency. It's about maturing and, and becoming a lot more sort of refined and knowledgeable in terms of their position. But I think he, in particular, you know, he's becoming a a very decisive and a very sort of influential player when it comes to Chelsea's ability to score goals, Chelsea's defensive patterns, whatever you want to say. So he probably swings to mind as somebody I think who has massively improved. And the other player as well, which I probably wouldn't have, have imagined myself saying maybe a season ago, is probably Mateo Kovacic. Um, you know, he is a guy that I have probably had the most frustrations with in terms of Chelsea players in recent seasons. And People always construe this as a, a massive negative or, you know, the quote-unquote agenda word that gets thrown around. I have always been perplexed how somebody as technically gifted and just excellent at so many different things that Matteo Kovacic is, yeah, who, whose brain seems to, in seasons gone by, disengage whenever he had to play a, a telling pass or, or do something decisive. You know, we used to see, I used to make jokes, you'd see all these wonderful compilations of him beating 3,000 3, people in midfield in the, you know, the space of a phone box. Um, and then it would always cut off before the final pass because we know that that pass rarely resulted in anything. Yet this season, his passing from deep, his, his choice of pass, his ability to actually really sort of get the team going and be a catalyst, that has, has certainly, you know, come, come so far, in my opinion, in terms of what he's able to do. Yes, there are still times where he makes the wrong pass or he doesn't execute the pass correctly. But from, from last season, my biggest criticism of him was always that, that final piece of play because, you know, he can, you know, he can dribble around everyone. It's like having like a mini Croatian in Hazard in midfield at times. But it's always that, that ability to actually do something at the end of the dribble or at the end of the piece of skill which I think always traditionally, for me at least, had let him down. And seeing, seeing that transition to him, being able to play some incredible passes this season, particularly from deeper areas, that, that for me is always going to be, I think, something that I'm, I've been very impressed with this season. I still think with him defensively, he, he lets runners go far too easily. He's so kind of unaware of, of things going on behind him. And that does cause us a lot of problems in transition at times. 
Um, you'll notice, I think particularly the Brentford game, they had loads of midfield runners coming into the box and Cover is always 10, 15 yards behind him because he doesn't quite have that defensive uh, awareness. But that being said, um, the majority of games that we play, you're not really asking him to do too much defensively in that respect. So I've been very impressed with him, you know, his, his range of passing, his his choice of pass, etc. So I'd probably go with Cover and, and Reese, um, and maybe just, just as a shout out for, for Ruben and Trevor as well. Uh, Ruben's comeback, particularly from what I was seeing at Fulham, I think that's been very, very impressive. Um, you know, seems to have found a home in this double six, seems to have found a home deeper in midfield, brings a, a far different skill set to any player that we have there, has the ability to score, to to create, maybe should have should have a couple of assists this season if other players had finished off some of the chances that he had created. And probably Trevor as well, you know, a guy who at the beginning of the summer, um, I think many people, probably himself included, felt that he was going to be moving on permanently from the club to now secure himself a new sort of four and a half, five year deal um, and become a player that I don't think anyone looks at him as a young player now. He's just a quality centre half that we have. I think that that transition from somebody who may have left Chelsea on the cheap and gone on to be a very good player to somebody who is now, I think, a very, um, you know, kind of meaningful part of this Chelsea squad. I think that that is also something I I've, I've would say in terms of uh, overall improvement would, would yeah certainly merits a, a mention as well i think we should all as chelsea fans tweets personally like thank you for continuing to shout trevor chalba's name throughout the summer because i know <laughs> listening to both of your podcasts and reading some of your newsletters you know you really shout out for the player especially in his last season in france he had a great season specifically in a back three and that's kind of where we all opened our eyes to and i know dana you've spoken so highly about trevor in the past couple of months um, Daniel, I want to flip it to you on the other side of things, though. Some players have looked isolated this season. It's not been a secret. So, according to you, who have those players been? And yeah. how do those and players... You have to do the negative yeah. stuff, yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm down. sorry. Everyone I had to flip it around. The name that comes to mind at the top of the list is Isakim Ziyech. And it's such a shame because he had such a good preseason. I mean, along with Trevor Chalabar. Um, who had a strong preseason? I I was there for the uh, the Tottenham game uh, just before the season kicked off, and I thought just seeing him live, I thought he just looked so more energetic. His pressing, his movement, I felt that you know there was a sense that maybe Ziash. I think the problem with Ziash is that I kind of feel like he's the victim of the change in coaching last year, or sorry, this year. Um, the more and more I watch him, and this is not to excuse some of poor performances from him, uh, I just feel that he doesn't fit the system under Tuchel anymore. I just I don't think there's a role for him in the team. Maybe I'm being a little bit too kind to Ziyech there and taking a lot of responsibility off his shoulders because I, I there have been performances and games where I feel like Ziyech should have really done a lot more with his performances. Um, but he looks out of kilter with the rest of the team at times. Um, I feel like he doesn't link up well with players like Kai Havertz when those two are in the team. I feel like they cancel each other out, to be honest. I, I don't think they're a good combination, um, especially, you know, um, with Kai playing as the nine in recent weeks and Ziyech playing off the right. Um, I'd say, yeah, Ziyech, he's just, he, his level of performance since that Super Cup has, has really been poor, in my opinion. I still have a lot of frustrations about Timo Werner. Um, I, you know, and, and this is something I'm going to get killed for, but I, and I know he hasn't been playing for a few weeks, uh, but I still feel there are just limitations to his game that 
I just think are very hard to get round. I, I think that especially when you see what Callum Hudson-Odoi has offered for Chelsea on the left wing compared to what Timo Werner does. Now, there is a lot of things that Timo does that can be very, very valuable in a game for Chelsea, especially bigger games against the likes of Liverpool, against the likes of Man City, where Chelsea, and in the Champions League, as we were speaking about earlier, no, PSG away, for instance, in knockout stages, that's a game where Tuchel is quite clearly going to do the same thing of sitting back, looking to play on transition. That's when you have, that's what you have Timo Werner for. He's a transition player. Um, but I still feel he's a guy that he had that really good performance and encouraging performance against Southampton. Yeah. Um, and I kind of felt like, oh, Rom and Timo, there was something there. I kind of, you know, there was a moment where Werner missed a chance before he scored the winner where him and Lukaku really linked up well. And I think it got forgotten after the game. Um, but it showed you, okay, that's how that front two could actually work in the future. And then they played again with each other against uh, Brentford and it just didn't it just didn't work. Um, and I know that I, short sample size, I know, but I, I still feel like Werner, there is... There are still parts to his game that I, I just think limit Chelsea a lot of the time. Um, and I still kind of have my doubts if he's ever going to turn into a player worthy of the fee and kind of hype we had for him when, when we bought him in, in the summer of 2020. And, and that's kind of my general frustration. Like even him returning after the international break, I don't think he gets into this starting 11 at the moment. I just don't. I just I don't think Chelsea look as good and as fluid on the ball. I think the way Callum on that left, which is where Timo would be taking the place. Um, Callum just, he's able to dictate things a lot more. He's, he has a, a, a wider skill set to get out of tight areas. Um, and and yeah, that's Timo's, I know, as I say, people throw stats at me in terms of the goal involvements Timo has been in and, and all of that, which is absolutely fair. And he, of course he works incredibly hard and he's got his speed is his greatest asset. I just still question whether he's going to be an, an amazing player, like a really influential player, especially with others performing well. Saunagez is is probably the third one, the most obvious one I could bring up here um, because when we bought him at the time on deadline day, I thought it was a really big signing for Chelsea. Now, it wasn't the perfect signing. I, I personally felt like Chelsea kind of skipped investing on midfield with Saunagez. Um, to me, it was kind of a very, very short-term solution to a longer term issue um which is not you know unusual for Chelsea to do like I was looking at someone like say Chuameni and Declan Rice like I feel like Chelsea are going to have to answer this question at some point and it probably happened next summer um but just for the time being Sounder Gaze it was an option they brought him in um, and it, it's crazy how things have changed because Back then, I didn't think Ruben was going to get as much time as he has. I didn't think Ross Barkley was going to get as much time as he has. So Sal has really struggled. And that, that opening 45 minutes against um, Aston Villa, I think, has really set him back. Um, and I kind of feel like it's one of those rare, rare mistakes from Tuchel in terms of judgment of throwing him in against that type of opposition. Um, the midfield two that day of covering Sal got overrun drastically in that first half. I remember doing an article where I went on Scout and I re-watched it. And it, I mean, it was bad on first viewing. It was even worse the second time when you kind of just looked at the positioning of of that midfield two, especially Sal. Like there were moments where like he was moving because he was, he was um, positioned on the right of the double six, I think. And he was moving over to his more natural left position. And you had both him and Kova basically just standing next to each other as like there was this massive gap on the other side of the pitch and just Villa's midfield three, I think it was on a day, were just overrunning us constantly. So I think that's really set Sal back. And, and I think the only other really 
um, substantial minutes he's got since then the League Cup games, isn't it? And and I felt like he was more encouraging in the in the Aston Villa game. But I still feel like this is Felipe Luis chapter two. Like I just he may be part of a title winning team, but I I can't see us um, buying him at the end of the season. I just he's got too many players to get in front of at the moment. There's just there's too many players who are either fit firing that Tuka, I think, has a lot of confidence in. You know, as Joe rightly mentioned, Kovacic has had a really good start to the season. So when he comes back, you expect him to be in the team. Kante, Jorginho, Ruben. Um, so, yeah, th- those are my clear three. I'd say Ziyech is the one I'm more concerned about because I just I, do- I just wonder, links were present over the summer of him moving away. And I just wonder if they'll come up again in January because I just don't think it's a relationship that's going to work for either the club or the player. Because um, I just don't think there's a role in in there for him like there was under under Frank. I think he's just such a unique playmaker at his age. Does he just want to be sitting on the bench most weeks? I'm not quite sure. Mm. It's crazy. I don't know if you guys saw on the. I'm sure you guys saw on the timeline, but it's already been two years since that crazy four to four draw versus Ajax mm. at Stamford Bridge, and that's really the game that you know Ziyech was introduced to all of us. So I think he had that crazy free kick goal that went off Kepa's face. Yeah, I want to say he had. I was literally one- like. Four rows behind that in the Matthew and Noah. I, I was like so close. Yeah, when, mm. that was an incredible performance. And um, yeah, we bought him obviously. And I just think under yeah. Frank, he had a really good role that I think suited him. Mm. And I th- and it's weird. It's like the role that Frank gave him benefited him personally, but probably didn't benefit the team. Yeah. In terms of it left us probably open on transition. I, you know, you can probably go back and see some of the spaces that were left yeah. that constantly hurt us. But and obviously, when Tuchel came in, the structure of the team obviously improves. But then that takes away, I think, from what what makes Ziyech such a unique playmaker. And it is fair to point out he's had some really badly timed injuries. I mean, mm-hmm. injuries oh, yeah. that have really hit him when he's been on good form, which has mm-hmm. clearly knocked him. And I remember him speaking last year about sort of the the struggle to adjust to sort of the lockdown, which some of these players have had to. There's the very human element of this, moving to a foreign country, a new league that he hasn't played in before, a massive step up from the Eredivisie. And it's just I don't I just don't think at the moment we can say it's a signing that's worked, mm. and I'm not sure if it's if it is going to work to be honest because it's not like he's a young player that's going to develop into something more. He's the finished article yeah. surely at this point. Like this is mm. this is who Hakim Ziyech is, and I'm not quite sure if Tuchel is 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 willing to give him the space to really express himself. And I and I just I think that there are there are more players who are going to be playing more regularly than him. I don't know about you guys, but I feel like too just looking at videos and seeing what his activity is like on social media, I feel like his personality just never really fit in with this team. Um, I feel like he just always wasn't able to get in. He seems more of a pretty selfish guy, if I'm, if I'm being honest with you, like even being on the pitch. Um, but it, it is crazy just because, you know, he has had bad luck. Um, but I do want to transition into more of a brighter topic now um, and talking about our attacks progress, especially because we've gotten some really great questions um, on offense attack, but I want to start with you, Tweeds, on uh, Cullen Watson Doy. Our good friend, Bat Larson, he asks, what do you make of his recent form, especially on that left-hand side? And we talked a little bit about this earlier. I know Dan will mention this, but, and Joe, do you think he will retain his place most week in and week out, especially with the likes of uh, Pulisic, specifically coming back into the team? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. Um, I think that Callum is starting to shake this kind of per 90 tag that he had. And by per 90, mm. I think anyone who's into the sort of data, um, you know, and there's this wonderful statistic that I, I think statistically Mishi Batshuayi is the best striker that Chelsea have ever had. 
Like his per 90 goal stats for Chelsea are in absolute insane. You know, when you're playing dribs and drives and you're playing little 10 minutes here and there, et cetera, you know, your, your per 90 stats can be fantastic. And I, I kind of often felt a tiny bit with Callum, you know, over the past couple of seasons, he has had some of the best creative numbers in, in the Premier League and certainly at Chelsea. And whether that has always been something that I've seen in terms of the, the ISS when I've watched him, I've always been a tiny bit dubious about that. But I, I would say certainly the last couple of games, we're starting to see him be, I think, more influential. I think he's starting to become a lot more decisive in the team. You know, the 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 sort of the, the piece of play for the Newcastle goal, obviously the the, the Norwich game. I think uh, Malmo as well, the the assist there. I think we're starting to see now moments of of Callum at his best. Um, I think for him to remain in the team, I think it's going to be all down to to him personally. Um, I still see at times a reticence from him to attack and attack and attack his, his fullback or wingback, whoever it might be. Um, and sometimes it's the the safer option of, of coming back inside or playing a safer pass. I would much rather, or I prefer, I should say, watching Callum when he is being aggressive, when he's taking people on, when he's using his ability to take the ball left, take the ball right, cut inside, you know, play down the line. I think his his ability to be sort of a bi-directional winger and, you know, he can cut inside, he can take the ball down the line traditionally. Um those skills are quite rare in modern football. You, t- you tend to have sort of inside forwards who cut in and shoot and that's sort of the MO they have. Um, I think a little bit that um, for him to, to sort of stay in the team, yeah, it, it's going to be the aggression level that he has in possession. Um, when he takes his foot off the gas and when he maybe starts sort of just being a, a sort of a, a retainer or somebody who recycles the ball um, in, in sort of wider areas as a forward, he reminds me a tiny bit of William at times in that, you know, William would sometimes be the guy who would receive possession um, and then slow the game down to a point where the other team could sort of filter back in and defend. Um, so I'm, I'm, what I'm wanting to see is, is that is that ball speed, that ability, you know, that he showed against Newcastle, Malmo, those sort of combinations, um, because I think that will keep him in the team. Pudisic, it's going to be an interesting one what happens with him. Um you know, his his injury record and, you know, the fact that he needs, in my opinion, at least multiple games sort of back to back to get up to speed. I don't know whether this Chelsea side can carry somebody in that nature. So I think he may have to, at least for the time being, you know, it might be League Cup, it might be the odd start here and there. Um, but I think he has to sort of build himself back up both physically and I think also in terms of the, the rhythm that this team are finding at the moment. So... I'm not sure if, if Callum is is at least in Myers under threat from, from Christian in terms of starting at the moment. Um, if he continues to play the way he has done, I think Christian will be filtered back into the team. What I don't want to do is rush him back as usual and then he breaks down and then, it, you know, he's out for another two, three months. Um, I'm, I'm kind of hoping now that, that Pulisic can string a couple of games together that we can get some football out of him because, you know, even as an option from the bench, he, he gives you something positive. He gives you something different as well. So, um but yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see really what happens. And of course, you know, the question will be certainly going forward when Lukaku is, is back fit, when Timo Werner is back fit, um, you know, when Mason is shaking this this sort of cold that he has off and the, the wisdom teeth and whatever else it might be that's going on with him. Um, what is the the front three that, that helps Chelsea play the most fluid and the, the most efficient style of football? Um, I don't necessarily know the answer to that question at this point in time. I have my personal preferences, um, but I'm curious as to what that uh, might look like for Thomas Tuchel because we've seen, you know, Timo is is somebody who tends to play quite often. I think Lukaku is 
you're not going to rest a 100 million pound centre forward. Havertz was a 60, 70, 80 million pound player. Mason Mount's crucial to the team. Callum has been very effective. Christian is a 50, 60 million pound player. You know, there are lots of pieces to fit in. I think it's going to be a question of trying to find the right balance. But as I say, I'm not entirely sure what that best balance is at the moment. But uh, for Callum's sake and for Christian's sake, I think that those are two different sort of ends of the spectrum. Callum has to keep playing, keep delivering. Christian has to, in my opinion, get himself fit, get himself physically capable of, of playing regularly. And it's a dilemma for me because, you know, like you mentioned, I think it's good for Christian to keep on getting minutes, even the likes international breaks, but we've seen time and time again, you know, him getting injury through a game like a Mexico, um, like a Jamaica, like they have in, in the next couple of weeks. So the CONCACAF, some games in the CONCACAF are very suspect. You know, the players are very physical. They go after someone like Christian, like someone did uh, against Eden Hazard all those years back. Um, so he's a player that is prone to an injury. It's unfortunate, especially going forward in the future. I know, Dan, you're a big Pulisic fan, um, especially we know how, how much his potential can grow. But I think that's a talking point for another day. Um, whether it's right for his career, you know, to, to leave the club. I want to transition, though, into Romelu Lukaku, Daniel, because I know you and Jay have wrote a lot about him recently, and Dan Hill's asking about his reemergence into the scene because at the back end, before he got injured against Malmo, um, he kind of looked out of it a little bit, especially with the combinations that he had with the guy like Ziyech. Um, even with people like Mason Mount, you know, I think, he hasn't really found that foundation yet. Who's the go-to guy to get him the ball? I know Reese James has provided him some assists so far this season, but Dan Hill's asking about how Tuchel is going to integrate Lukaku back into this side. Um, so what are you expecting from him? How can you get um, more fluidity from him highlighting his strengths, you know, because we've seen him uh, succeed in international football, lately, but especially towards the back end before he got injured, he kind of looked a little bit out of the team. How do we attribute towards his strengths? On the next weeks, and what players are you looking forward to making a little bit of a connection with him? Exactly. Yeah, I think the first part that I did mention earlier was players like Reese James, who he's barely played alongside and and been able to get that connection. And you know, um, I absolutely think that is going to be a big one from the right. Um, the delivery from Reese James that I think is going to be so key for getting Lukaku goals and creating good opportunities. But I kind of feel like the the way Kai Havertz has been playing is kind of the template of of what I want to see Lukaku doing. Um, I really just I, my big concern so far with Lukaku is the way we've been using him, um, using him as this very stationary, isolated focal point. I think is just limiting our record breaking signing. You know, I just I I don't think you're going to get the best out of Lukaku if you watch him for Belgium, if you watch mm. him for Inter Milan. He's so much more varied than that. You know, all of the talk around him coming in was this is a complete striker. He can do a lot of things. He's worked so hard on his game. Um, and I don't feel like we've really got the best out of him. And I'm, I was looking at sort of the the lack of touches that Lukaku was having in the games yeah. preceding his injury for Chelsea compared to the amount of touches Kai Havertz has had as that number nine in previous games. Um and, and sure, you can label it as like the opposition, the fact that Chelsea have been dominant in these games in possession. But, you know, Lukaku's last Premier League game before his injury, he had 19 touches, which is the lowest he's had for Chelsea so far. Compare that to Havertz, who's been regularly getting over sort of like I was analysing yesterday, like sort of over 50 touches. And, you know, touches aren't everything. Obviously, if a player is just touching the ball a number of times and aren't really influencing things, obviously th those stats can be deceptive. But I, I just think that, 
it shows a level of involvement. And I think the, the, the freedom Kai has as that number nine to float in and out, to go out to the wing potentially is something that Lukaku can do. Like, and I don't think it's a problem with Lukaku's form. I think it's a problem with the way we're playing him. Um, that's kind of my belief at the moment, you know, watching him play for Belgium against France. Yes. International football is very different, but that overall performance did, the way he was um, from literally the start, he was running down the wing for Belgium um, when De Bruyne and Hazard were kind of playing as would sometimes go into that central position. I just don't know why Chelsea can't do that. You know, if you're playing with Havertz or Hudson-Odoi, it was interesting against Burnley, the average positions, it was kind of like Hudson-Odoi looked like he was playing alongside Kai Havertz as a front two, mm-hmm. kind of had Ross Barkley playing as a number 10 kind of behind him rather than a conventional sort of front three i want to see lukaku more involved and i think that's what he wants him to as himself as a player you know conte if you listen to some of the quotes recently from his time at inter there's so much more to his game he's a great creator as well like the the relationship he forms with Tara martinez um it's it's a you know it's only one game but I, if anyone wants to go back and watch like the height of lukaku in recent years it's that performance against ac milan last season where he sets up a goal for Latoro Martinez with a ball that Kevin De Bruyne would be proud of, like a cross, just a wonderful cross that Reese James would be proud of as well. And then, of course, you see the goal-scoring prowess and and the the physical strength and, and the speed of Lukaku's game in the second half with that finish against Donnarumma. So I want to see that. I think it's a combination of the personnel that Lukaku is going to have alongside him that I think are going to make better opportunities for him. But I also think it's Tuchel being able to unleash Rom a little bit more, allow him to go out to the wing, allow him to be a little bit more freer. Because if he just stands at like, as harsh as this sounds like, if we just wanted a focal point, then why did we sell Olivier Giroud? Like if we just wanted, just, if Tuchel just wanted a focal point and all these quotes about we need to like, play up to Lukaku and he's got to have his back to goal. He can do that. We know that's part of his skill set, but it's not his only skill set. And I think if we just keep on doing that, I think you're probably going to see the same issues uh, that we saw uh, preceding his injury, which uh, I hope isn't the case because we're going to need him to really hit form when he gets back from injury. Yeah, I think too, watching him in, in during international breaks, you know, his threat and his prowess, I think he's got a lot better with running with the ball in the past couple of years, especially with the likes of Inter and how he was used. And I think you saw a connection with someone like Mason Mount in games like the Arsenal away, Reese James, even a guy like Mateo Kovacic, right? We talked a lot about him on this podcast um, with the great, probably the pass of the season, goal of the season so far against Aston Villa. So of course everyone wants him to succeed. You know, I think coming back to it'd be nonsensical to say that we, even though we've been getting results, you know, we're a better team without him because that's just not true. And I think really when he comes back into the side, will show, especially, I'm really excited to see a guy like Christian Pulisic next room with Lukaku. Um, not might just because I'm American, but I really think that they too can, can hopefully make a good connection going forward. Joe, I want to transition into one of our last talking points of the podcast, because it would be silly to not have a conversation about the best academy in the world, dominating world football in all the professional leagues. And so, especially Gilly B, which first of all, it's a great Twitter handle um, name has a question on how many Cobham graduates will be in the squad next season, especially looking forward to, you know, under 21s guys that have graduated Academy, no names. I'm not going to say any names, but could come back to the club um, next summer. So first of all, I want to talk a little bit about, before we get to Gilby's question, just how impressed with have you been about Cobham and how, how happy and how proud have you been with our Academy dominating world football recently, not just for Chelsea, but for other teams. Yeah, it's uh, 
it, it's a bit crazy um, to, to put it plainly. Um, I think for many, many years, and probably since I've really been sort of doing football on the internet, you could say, so maybe the past 10 years or so, um, I often would run into conversations with people telling me uh, quite, you know, um, fastidiously in many cases that, that Chelsea's academy were not good enough, otherwise they would be playing. And, you know, that was sort of a recurring theme that, you know, Chelsea, you know, if they were good enough, they'll play. You know, none of them have done anything, et cetera, et cetera. And it's just like, okay, fair, you know, that's all well and good. Um, now that they're getting opportunities and not just at Chelsea, um, I think we're starting to see really the the quality that, that maybe has been there for an extended period of time. And, you know, you look at the fact that we maybe have produced three international standard, you know, right backs alone in the past sort of three years or whatever it might be with, with Tarek Lamptey and Tina Livermento obviously doing very well. Reese James absolutely balling at the moment. So, you know, if you look at that just in isolation, you might think that that's, you know, huge achievement. You know, Chelsea are reducing Premier League caliber players, players who are winning sort of, you know, uh, man of the match awards, who were being nominated for player of the month, etc. But then you sort of go on to someone like Conor Gallagher, who is probably, again, if you remove the Chelsea Association, he is somebody that, that other teams will be looking to buy in January and the summer. You know, he, to me, looks like the archetypal Jurgen Klopp central midfielder. He is box to box. He is hustle bustle. He wins tackles. He scores goals. He gets assists. Um, you know, he has that level of energy that you want. He can counter press, you know, he can, he can defend. He puts his body in the way. And yet he is somebody that you are looking at next season as somebody that you're trying to now fit into a midfield that has an awful lot of talent in it. Um, and then, you know, even slightly further afield, you have somebody like Levi Colwell, who as an 18-year-old playing as a centre-half in the Championship, I think I read somewhere that he's the seventh youngest player in the league. And, you know, centre-half is a position where typically, you know, you look at somebody like Thiago Silva or, or players, you know, Terry, for example, the last couple of years of his career. The more you play, the better you seem to get in terms of positioning and just generally your kind of feel for the position. It's it's kind of the converse of you often get a lot of very young, exciting attackers because there's a lot less tactical things to do. There's maybe less awareness in terms of you know being asked to play in that particular position. Yet Colwell is is getting man of the match awards, he's consistently putting up insane stats. And and in terms of how he's taken to to playing in the team, um, you know, I, I follow a, a news reporter. I think actually Daniel might know him, Steve and Chicken. I think he also works for, for Reach as well. Um, you know, he was absolutely raving about his involvement, you know, when Huddersfield had him in the team, how well they did compared without his ability on the ball defensively, et cetera. And of course, you know, he's certainly not the, not the finished article. You wouldn't expect an 18-year-old to be the finished article. But given that he is 18, he's currently starting pretty much week in, week out when he's fit for, for Huddersfield in the championship. He's shown the kind of quality ability. He has this weird blend of being six foot three, four with the technique that he has. In three years' time, he's going to be 21 and he's going to have arguably three years of top-level experience under his belt. I'd be amazed if he is in the Chelsea centre-half in, in a couple of seasons' time. Um, you know, he's left-footed, he's got that nice balance, he can play in a three, he can play in a four. So, I mean, it's, there are just so many examples of, of academy players just going and doing, you know, incredible things. And, you know, even looking at Italy, Tamori's playing exceptional for AC Milan. You know, Tammy, I think, scored and, and had an assist today for, for Roma. Um, you know, there, there are players who are doing just insane things all around the, the Europe, it seems at the moment. So I think from Chelsea's perspective, it will be kind of trying to evaluate how you 
how you fit some of these guys in into your future planning. And, you know, one of my long-term bugbears at Chelsea is that necessarily our, you know, our long-term view is the end of the season rather than maybe sort of two, three seasons time. It's not a, a view that allows you to really construct a squad where you can start bringing guys in. But I'm looking at sort of the way it is at the moment. If somehow they manage to get Rudiger to renew his contract in two, three years' time at the end of that, that p- potential deal, Colwell comes in as, as, as a 21-year-old player who has, you know, as I said, maybe two, three seasons of, of top-flight football under his belt. Rudiger's in his 30s. You get maybe that natural transition period. So I'm looking at things like that and certainly someone like Gallagher as well, who I think Tuchel will... Well, he's already spoken about him at length. I, I love that quotation about him where he, you know, said he could phone him at four in the morning and he'd be ready to get up and press and kick people and all that sort of stuff that you want. Um, but it's going to be a question of how you try and fit these guys in because as much as it's about Cobham, it's about young players and players who, who get the club and come through the club, etc. For me, again, you know, the, the thing that, that maybe people who aren't as um, into the academy or, or as, as, you know, kind of who see it as part of the club's identity for every, you know, every Connor that comes through, every Levi that comes back into the squad, that, that's another 50, 60, 70 million you can spend on a top player. And that will always be the reason for people that maybe aren't as keen on the academy players. If we bring two players back, um, you know, Trevor Chalaber might have saved us 60, 70 million pounds on Jules Kunde, for example. That is 70 million that can go to a player that we genuinely, genuinely need. Maybe it's a, a Declan Rice or a Shermany or a forward or, or someone exciting. But the more players you bring back from the academy that obviously have the, the, the right skill set, profile, um, capabilities and, and fit into to what Tuchel wants to do, the more money you can spend elsewhere. If we spend on average 100, 125 million, whatever it might be a season, you know, would you rather spend that on two, maybe two 70 million pound players who are really going to transform the, the attacking quality of the efficiency of the team? Or, you know, do you want to go and buy a 70 million pound centre half who may at the moment only be better than what you have purely on the fact that they they have more experience, that they've played more football rather than giving giving players opportunities. So as much as I am, I'm obviously hugely behind giving all of the, the, the academy graduates um, who who are good enough the opportunity to play at Chelsea, it would always fall back on that that argument that it, it does allow Chelsea the best opportunity to go in and compete with with clubs who are being owned by states. You know, Newcastle will be able to spend fortunes in the future, PSG, City, etc. Those clubs, um, you know, we can go and spend 70, 80 million pounds on a really top level player because of the ability that we have to bring through players. And little may it continue, um, but I'm really, really interested to see, certainly as the season progresses, Guys like Conor Gallagher, guys like Levi Colwell, who are probably the two outstanding candidates at the moment, um, how they do and how they sort of fare and in terms of their ability to come back and be um, contributors at Chelsea, because I, I definitely think Gallagher is is on the verge of being ready. Colwell is maybe one season away, certainly maybe a Premier League loan away from, from being a, a starter at Chelsea. Um, but it's the uh, the possibilities seem to be there. And Tuchel, again, seems to be, be really sort of pro-academy, seems to be, be really behind giving players opportunities. And the thing, the other thing, just to, to close up this point, Shane, is that the, the development that some of these young players have shown under his coaching, and particularly someone like Reese James, who I think is just playing sensational at the moment, but even guys like Mason Mount and, and Callum and, and obviously Trevor Chalaba, you know, guys who, Christensen, I mean, it just goes on and on and on. But the development that these guys are showing um, and how they, they see Tuchel, how they react to him, how they react to his coaching style, the system he's putting in play for them, um, you know, he's basically rejuvenated Ruben Loftus-Cheek when I don't think many people, even his most ardent fans, would have said that that was a possibility. So, you know, that trend hopefully continues. We continue to go and invest in top-level players. 
that Cobham does um, you know, benefit us both financially, obviously, in terms of player sales, but also in terms of our ability to spend money. So a uh, bit of a, a long-winded rant there, but uh, yeah, you know that Cobham is one of my speciality subjects. So um, yeah, but no, really, really pleased with how things are going. And obviously, it's uh, it's nice to see even players that we've, we've sold um, yeah, do particularly mm, well today. Yeah, I mean, especially, you know, I've been watching a lot of Crystal Palace, not just because of Gallagher, but a guy like Mark Gay, who's doing really well in a back four, starting week in and week out. You know, those players... Tina Livermento has been Southampton's best player this season so far. So it's it's really wholesome just to see these guys go out, you know, and succeed. And one day, hopefully, they'll end up back in Chelsea's first team. But to close this one out, guys, I'll end with a little bit of a fun topic, and that's just a regular general bold prediction, uh, especially for the next couple of months in the season. So anything that you guys are kind of passionate about or maybe that you have a view on, that might help in um, just bull prediction in general in the next couple of weeks. Dan, I'll start with you on this one. Can you give somewhat of a bull prediction for what's going to come in the next couple of months for Chelsea? Um, I'll try not to be cynical and say the the annual Chelsea collapse. I'll try and be yeah. more <laughs> positive than that. Uh, I think Lukaku is going to start scoring goals. Uh, mm. You know, I just think the quality of the of the player will just mean that you'll see his you know his, his finishing come through and especially with Reese as as we've been speaking about the quality he's performing at the moment is just you know ridiculous and I feel like his level of performance Reese is kind of what we felt he could always produce for Chelsea I don't think it's a surprise I think maybe he's just finally getting the credit he deserves because the the players in front of him are starting to finish the chances he creates a little bit more so that's obviously helping his stats but as we know he's, he's scoring goals as well so I feel those two are going to be wonderful together and, and I think that you know Ron will start scoring goals um I think that I think Chelsea will be in a title race um and I feel that looking at some of the fragilities of Liverpool and and Man City so far I think that Chelsea may not need a 90 point season to win the league potentially uh, like some probably assume. Um, I just think Tuchel's our biggest our biggest threat. I think having him, what he's done in short, such a short space of time, um, I think is probably the biggest sign Chelsea have made in, in some time. Um, and I think that's what gives us all confidence at the moment at Chelsea that he's going to do something special with us. So I'll say those two things. I think Lukaku scoring goals and, and Chelsea uh, being top of the league come the new year. Because uh, I just I, I think that's probably the, the most upbeat I can be, and hopefully Lukaku puts Oli Gunnar Solskjaer out of a job at the end of this month. That's kind of one thing. Well, I'll tell you what I think it wouldn't be surprising for me, and it'd be typical Chelsea to have a rejuvenated Manchester United side from yeah. the 28th of November. You just you just know it's going to happen before then because United <laughs> they could get kicked out the Champions League. Still, I know that kind of sounds crazy, but they still could. Um, and they've got a lot of hard games coming up, so. That's another day, another subject. But tweet, skinny bull prediction, something spicy, whatever you want to throw at me. Oh, um, I don't know if you do something really spicy or just sort of keep it mild. Um, <laughs> I, I'll do, I'll do a bold prediction for the rest of the season. Um, and this, oh, no, that's a little bit too, that's a little bit too outrageous. I'll, and this is an American podcast, so you can, you can assume who that's going to be related to. But I'll keep that one maybe under my hat for the time being. I will go that uh, Reese James for the remainder of the season. I think Reese James will get double digit assists this season in the Premier League. Mm. I was just, okay, I was going to say something about Reese James too. You're not allowed. Yeah. <laughs> Let me think for a second here. 
Okay, I have mine. I think Mason Mount will score over 15 Premier League goals this season. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. I think especially his threat going forward now, and I wanted to mention him on this podcast especially, and I wanted to give him a lot of praise just because of how vital he is to this team. And I think going forward, he has an eye on goal, especially from outside the box, which is great to see. Um, and that Patrick against Norwich will probably help my stat-wise going forward in the season, but I'll take it. I'm going to go with Mason Mount to have more than 15 goals this season. It might be a stretch, but they can get there, especially if he keeps on combining with the likes of Lukaku. You know, I think a lot of teams are going to be direct to someone like that, and Mount can really get forward and in behind to, to score some more goals. So we have Chelsea. Might not have to score, might not have to have 90 points to win the title. Reese James is going to lead the league in assists, so I think it's probably going to happen. Honestly, Joe, I don't even think like I think he's I think he's destined for that in the in the next couple of years. Honestly, to like, make kind of make that title his. And I'm going to go Mason Mount more than 15 goals this season in front. It's going to be a stretch, but I think he can do it, especially with the Dion goal and with the likes of Hudson, Dwayne Lukaku, and Reese James behind him. So. Once again, guys, I want to thank you. Before I leave you, though, I have to ask you guys where my audience can find you guys content-wise because you guys are doing a lot of great things right now for the Chelsea community, especially. Um, so first of all, thank you guys for coming on the podcast. I'll start off with you, Daniel. Where can my listeners find your work on football.london but also some of the other content they're doing right now um, for the Chelsea because you've been some really great things. Once again, thanks for coming on, man. Really good to talk to you. Yeah, great to be back. Hopefully the the gap between the next episode isn't as, as long because uh, yeah, it hopefully you know um well hopefully the omen is by the time i'm on the podcast again chelsea will have another european cup so that's kind of if we can yeah. keep that trend going that'd be pretty nice uh to add a third star um yeah in terms of content at the moment uh basic things you know youtube channel son of chelsea uh with my work uh with football london uh, i think the easiest place to find everything i do is just my twitter account at son of chelsea uh, there are links to all of my written work for Football London. Um, and as well, we just started a YouTube channel, the Carefree Chelsea YouTube channel, where there's going to be a lot of content going up there as well. So that's kind of the bulk of my work at the moment, uh, writing a lot, lot of articles with with the team over there. So, um, yeah, that's basically where I think at Son of Chelsea is where people can find uh, all my work. Mm. Well, thank you. I mean, Dano, it's great to talk to you. I know we started turning this space in a couple weeks, so hopefully we'll be able to interact more uh, in the next couple of weeks, especially because, like I said, school is taking a little bit of a less turn right now. So it's not moving as fast for me, which is always nice. And Chelsea are a great distraction from the real world. Um, and it's awesome to do that, especially it's great to see your progress. I think for me, it's so awesome to see great things happen to great people. And I know you've really helped me out starting my broadcasting career, especially gaining confidence, you know, behind a microphone. So I just want to attribute that to you and um, tell you just how great of a job you're doing so far. And I hope you continue that in the future. Um, and I'm going to hand over to you, Tweets, because you've got a lot going on as well. Work my listeners find you on social media, but also your content recently. Yeah, no, I'd, uh, I'd echo that of, uh, of Dan. He's, uh, I think, certainly for me, even before the, the Football on the Stop was probably my favorite. YouTuber, I know that's bad because a lot of them follow me. So I actually probably, hopefully, Nini or Jan or others don't actually listen. But uh, yeah, no, I used to like uh, Dan. Dan's videos were always good quality, and actually, you know, they weren't massively reactionary, which I always kind of appreciated as well. Um, in terms of my stuff, uh, yeah, obviously, the London's Blue is, is the main place you can find me these days in terms of podcasts. Um, Kings Road series on there. The last one I did, which again, probably I will post again around January was with a, an agent friend of mine going through the whole transfer market in detail, mm -hmm. how everything works from a, from an agent perspective and from a player perspective. So for anyone who's interested in transfers or how they really genuinely work, 
that was a, a pretty good listen. Um, and recently, I think this week, uh, Yaz and I, so Yaz uh, McLean, my co-host of the Tinkerman podcast, mm. we released our, I think it was the third episode of, of that. So we had a massive review of, of the games and I think there was some really good conversation on that as well. It's where the famous indented wingbacks have have been born. We were, we were fed up with inverted and rather weird names. So it's where the indented wingbacks have come from. Um, yeah, if you're a man of culture, that podcast is for you. But uh, yeah, as I say, uh, same with Dan, most of my stuff. Um, pretty much all it will be on Joe Tweedy on uh, on socials. So yeah, follow me on that. And for the listeners out there, the, thing that, the things I love about the content that Joe puts out there, you know, you can listen to these kind of episodes anytime, anytime this year. You know, you can go back and listen to any of those Tinkerman episodes because all of them, especially this recent one, I really love to listen to. Keep up the great work, Joe, as always. Um, audience, I'm not going to make any promises for the next couple of weeks. A lot of things <laughs> could go away. Set expectations. Um, yeah. Um, the nice thing is, though, school, only two more weeks for the fall term, and then we're coming back for the winter term, and then we have a winter break for three weeks. So that's really when the season gets started. I'm really hoping to have produced a lot more content over the holiday season, especially this year, because I'll be away from school, um, which I'm really looking forward to. Um, but yeah, hopefully I'll be able to record more podcasts. I know I'm going to be talking to Miz and RJ probably 48 hours after this podcast's um, gets released. So look out for that one as well. We're going to talk a little bit more about the topics we talked about today and some different things going forward for Chelsea, uh, specific, I think, to the Premier League and the Champions League. We're going to talk a lot about the Champions League, especially because those guys are really knowledgeable about other clubs um, in Europe as well. They're really passionate about that sort of thing. So I'm really looking forward to that episode, especially, like I said, holiday season for me, hopefully will be a lot of fun and talking about Chelsea, especially um, hopefully we'll stay at the top of the table. Fingers crossed on this next international break. Uh, <clears throat> Ballistic, don't get injured, please. Um, and um, Yes, please yeah. don't. Yeah, please. Um, but yeah, you can find me on Twitter, Holcomb 13 Right now, I'm just retweeting a lot of things just because I'm in school. And, you know, I'll be in a class and I'll be retweeting things, but I don't want to have time for the platform. Um, especially with my thoughts and, and schoolwork, but I'm hoping to get better on that, prioritizing and manage my time a little bit better. So I'm looking forward to getting back on Twitter, sharing a little bit more of my thoughts, um, especially on Chelsea and recording the future with these awesome guests so, like Daniel and Joe. So once again, thank you guys for, if you listen, if you made it this far, thank you. I hope you enjoyed the episode with Daniel and Joe, the two of the best guys out there in the Chelsea community. I want to thank you guys once again for coming on the podcast. You can find us on Instagram at laugh for Matthew Harden podcast, especially if you don't have time to listen to the full hour episode. I'm going to try to chunk this down into two or three minutes because we had a lot of great moments today. And that's what the content word is really all about now, sharing those moments. So thank you once again, guys, for coming on the podcast. You guys can find us on Instagram at laugh for Matthew Harden podcast. Until next time, Chelsea fans, I'm Shane Oak, alongside Dan Childs and Joe Tweedy and up the Chelsea.